Yo, 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 welcome to another round of In the House. We have a In the House special here in that uh, Royal House is, is Royal House Comics is, is very much represented. Chuck Cox, one of our premier writers, editors, uh, um, creators, is with us to talk some of the new projects, just uh, 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 some, of the, some of the process of uh, what was a successful year in publishing for you. Um, Mr. Chuck Cox. Thank you. Thanks again for for having me back. And hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. Oh man, we got a lot to talk about before we get into some of the subject matter. Um, fill people in on a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing. Uh, so, like most of us, I've been a fanboy for as long as I can remember. Um, my mom was a really big reader. You know, some of my earliest memories are of her coming back from the garage sale with all these books with the covers torn off. And what I didn't know at the time was they were mostly, you know, Stephen King, Dean Koontz, and a lot of those guys. But I was always watching her read. So as I learned to read, I was always reading. And that was just kind of the natural progression. Um, into writing. I, I wrote my first comic, I think it was in, in second grade. Uh, was, I drew my little stick figures for it. it was a, a, a boy had a meteor land in his backyard and it gave him superpowers. And you know, yeah, it was a total self-insert. But after that, it was kind of just this natural thing that I always did. As I transitioned into adulthood, I was able to, to do that in its practical form, um, which is, you know, a lot of copy editing, a lot of rewrites, freelance stuff. Um, and that just kind of took over. Uh, you, you know how that goes. You get caught up in the, in the, in the feeding yourself. But creatively, I was always kind of doing things on the side. I was a part of a couple of really cool writing groups. Um, going back to, to the Yahoo groups era, if that means anything. <laughs> it means uh, it takes a few people back, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So I was always able to, while I was writing practically, um, able to continue writing creatively and kind of find my voice, um, which is always the point of all of this, is, you know, kind of finding your voice. So one thing I've been telling people recently is I really, really learned how to write, uh, how to tell a story, how to write creatively. Um, by doing fan fiction and it was a uh, one really specific fandom um and it's my all-time favorite you know i love the star wars and the james bond and the, you know i love all that stuff but like highlander is my all-time favorite jam um it has this lovely historical element of these people who live for hundreds of years so you can literally take any point in time in history that you're interested in and sticking immortally and and i did that for years and years and years um and that's kind of how i learned how to i fleshed out my process and when the time came to write creatively in earnest like now it's those those things that i did then are still sustaining me it's been a crazy trip but i'm glad that we're here now doing what we're doing well i mean you you've You've uh, 
you it seems like you've been in the practice for 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 a good amount of time not not so much unbroken whether it was you know for commission or or like you said you know right you know going through that through that uh, struggling creative uh, uh, professional growth where you know you're not so much getting paid for it you're just you know just doing it and then you know getting paid you know a little bit for for your experience and your ability tell me how you made that official transition what was your first uh, um professional piece that you felt like passionate about where you felt like okay um i was able to put myself into this piece and publish it well it was a it was a two-pronged it was a two-pronged thing that that happened the thing that absolutely gave me the the confidence to think i could pursue writing creatively uh you know in earnest like it's not just a hobby as a profession was uh i got the opportunity to ghostwrite something it was completely outside the box for me. I never, ever, ever would have written anything in that genre. And I can tell you what genre. I mean, I did sign an NDA, but it was a romance novel. <laughs> and this person had this incredibly meticulous outline. And it was a breakthrough in two ways. Because it, it utterly transformed my process as a writer. Um, this outline, I, I literally just connected the dots. It was like the book was already done. Um, and and seeing that, you know, and seeing it published, and yeah, it had somebody else's name on it, but like, I, I know what time it is, it, it was neat. It's like, okay, I, I've done that that way. Let's try to do this another way. So I've always been a short story person. Um, and, and one of the difficult transitions was trying to, to make that move into the novel. Uh, but, but what I did was just, I kind of leaned into to what I was good at. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to write my own anthology. I'm just going to write a bunch of short stories and, you know, maybe they'll fit together. Maybe they won't, but that was my first really big passion project. Um, I had an opportunity with a small publisher that didn't, it ended up not working out uh, for all the reasons why those things don't work. But it was a huge like, okay, I can I can do this. Not only can I do it, but I can have somebody uh, interested enough to try to help me get it out to more people to read it. Because at that point, I still hadn't made that transition from I do all this writing for myself and nobody ever looks at it. And, you know, professionally, uh, you know, I, there was a, a period of time where I was only writing freelance. Um, and, you know, I was, I was working from home and I was just writing all the time for other people um, doing their content rewrites. Uh, one of the things I did a lot of was uh, make this article appear to have been written by someone whose first language is English when their first language was not English. So I got to work on some of those grammatical chops. Um, so all of it was just good training uh, for for what I really wanted to do, which is um, tell my own stories. And when I finally made the, the decision to, to transition to comics, um, I'd spent a whole lot of time thinking of reasons not to. Like I had a lot of excuses. It's too hard to find an artist, or I can't do this, or this is too much this, or you know all those things. Oh yeah, I mean that, that, voice, that voice of doubt 
is always internal. It's external. It, it's yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Okay. It will it will grind you into dust if you let it. Um, once I made the, the full out decision, I did it the way the same way I did everything. Like I I decided okay, here it is, and then I just ran with it. And I was absolutely lucky enough to meet other people at the exact same moment who were doing the same thing. <clears throat> it all started with a. Hey, wouldn't it be great if a, if a bunch of creatives got together and started their own publishing house? And I thought, wow, yeah, that would be great. Now here we are. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 been fun, and I want to get into some of the Royal House work we've we've accomplished and what's next. Uh, I want to take make a short stop at short stories because yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's funny and it's kind of ironic because... I'm a teacher, I'm an English teacher, I'm a special education teacher as my profession. And we're in a unit that's talking about short stories. For, uh, I, you, know, uh, you know, funny enough. So like in one of our first unit, unit you know, lessons or texts, uh, they were talking about how short stories became popular, you know, first as gift books, but then in the advent of the magazine and how... Yeah how horror and science fiction really only emerged out of the out of the the process of publishing short stories so yes, like that, yes. that takes me into like kind of right up up your air you know you know right within your area of interest in, in short stories horror sci-fi um let's transition into into your i guess you know i want to say your specialty because you're very very you, i've seen you write multiple genres but uh, right now, you have a, a very intricate horror line coming out. So, tell me, you know, what kind of compelled you to move into the horror comic creative space? So, like you were saying about the short story, um, Edgar Allan Poe is my all-time favorite literary human, and. Uh, you know, a lot of people say he's the, the father of the American short story, the, the detective story. You know, he's a, he's a creepy cat. So my mom, like I said, was a, a voracious reader. So I became one. And uh, there were these series of books that were like, uh, I don't remember what the publisher was, but they were like classics, but for kids. So they were abridged and they had pictures at the beginning of every chapter. But it was full on like Moby Dick. Uh, uh, called the wild like the classic classics and I remember she got me one of those and it was it was these it was the these Edgar Allan Poe tales it was the raven uh, telltale heart and it scared the crap out of me and I loved it I loved it <laughs> I mean you know you think about things being scary on, on television like these these images these sounds but just words on a page and the lights inside your own mind and all those places that it will take you in 20 pages. So I, I fell in love with that medium, uh, the short story. Um, you know how, how my process is now, but when I was first, you know, flexing these writing muscles, I was a full on pantser. Like I would just get an idea and I would just start writing. No, no clue where I was going, what was happening, who was who, what was what. I just knew this was going to happen. This is going to happen. And at the end, everybody dies usually. Um, and I could, I could pants these 14, 15 page 
details. Uh, so I, I, I did a lot of that for years. I, I, I read this really uh, great short story called They're Made of Meat. I can't remember the author. This, this came out many years ago in the 90s. And it's literally all dialogue. It's an entire story of dialogue. So I did that for a couple of years. I tried to write stories only in dialogue. So, you know, just making these movements in, in these kind of short tales where you know that there is this long epic story but here's only a snapshot of it you don't know what comes before you don't know what happens after but whatever it is it's nothing compared to what you come up with in your own mind and that was the coolest thing to be as a writer of you know attacking this this short story and this short form story the the second part of that is um one of the things that discourages creators of, of all kinds is not being able to finish. Um, you know how many times I've tried to write a novel. None of those, n- none of that stuff's done. But I've got stacks and stacks of short stories. So just that kind of self-validating ability to finish something, to start and finish something. Um, it's, uh, I can't understate that ever. I mean, I, I know that every every single person that's listening to this has some story they start working on. They dropped in mid-sentence that's in a drawer somewhere that they wish they had done. And it's hard. It's hard to go back to those things. But one of the things that the short story taught me was, hey, you can finish this. And I'll tell you, that was like, it, it was like a switch going on. Knowing that I could actually start and finish was a huge thing. It's huge. But do you think um, you've developed like a specialty? Because in, in a lot of the work we've collaborated on, you have a real knack for some formal functions of, of writing, like script writing, um, a, a solid editorial process, uh, as well as I, you know initial idea creation and, and completion. So the ability to get over an arc. From beginning to end walk me through those three elements of your writing from you know how you come up with idea where you get inspiration from some of your training as far as like you know script writing and formatting uh, a work and then you know the function of, of taking a product from beginning to end okay so you, you know how we we talked uh, a couple days ago about uh, creation versus curation of an idea um, one of as as a creative one of my knee-jerk reactions to every single idea i have is that's been done when especially if it's something really cool i'm like no i couldn't have possibly i had to have read that or seen that somewhere but getting out of that space i just started to write all of those things down so every single that whatever i thought up in the shower on in the driveway in line at the store, like all those little snippets of uh, lots of times, it's a what if. What if this happened instead of this? Or uh, uh, a question. It's usually a question. So all of those scraps of conversations or little pieces of inspiration or half-formed thoughts, I just started actually writing down all of those things. All of them. Now, two things happen. 
I accumulated a ton of post-it notes and shit that I didn't understand later. Um, but it went from being just an idea to being a real thing that I could work on. And it didn't have to make sense. Um, I, I, I will sometimes, uh, and, and I know you know how this works, like you're in the middle of something, you're hit deep in writing something, and you get another idea, like, oh, snap, this would be great. Yeah. I will, I will pause what I'm doing and write whatever it is that I thought of. Uh, and it's usually like a page or so of gibberish uh, or like a, uh, I call it a treatment or a synopsis. Sometimes it's just a long one, but I will write that stuff down. Sometimes I will abandon what I was working on and work on that for an entire evening. Um, but then it just goes, it goes in the idea book because again, now it's real. It's a thing you can, you can let simmer. You can snip at it, paste on it. You can work on it. It's not just lights in your head. So all of those things, all of those thoughts become real to me as I see the words. And then I, it's just a matter of, you know, finding the inspiration and picking and choosing and developing. Um, the years, you know, it was, it was a, it was a solid five years that, that I was only writing freelance. Um, so a lot of those lessons in copy editing, I have carried over into, into all aspects of my writing. And, and the, the two important ones are preparation or pre-writing and, um, Break that down for break that down for me, and 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 really how you would apply that to you know to the mechanics of your writing. Uh, in in everything I write, um, I I go in knowing that most of it won't make it to the end. Um, you, you know how we know that a first draft is just a draft doesn't have to be any good um, so I, I treat those as a vomit draft I use all that on the nose dialogue I say every little thing every bit of exposition like all those cool the cool tough guy talk dialogue that I want to get in because I know when I go to edit I'm boiling it down to almost the bone I, I will edit things to the point where I start thinking like okay is this even going to make sense now because I cut so much and that's when I think, okay, it's probably, that's probably, it. <laughs> that's probably, uh, I was an English major also. I had this one professor, uh, she had a sign on her door and it said, be as concise as possible, but all the words except for be and concise were crossed out. <laughs> and I thought, I think of that all the time. That's, you know, it's like, that's why I really, as a, People will, will argue with you that, that screenwriting is not an art form. It's a blueprint to be a movie. I always thought of screenwriting, screenplays being something that's a good, quick read. So I always approached that kind of writing as let's make it a good, quick read, a good read. Um, and, and that just kind of bled over into everything. Now, I like reading purple prose. But I don't want to waste a lot of time describing how the trees and shit look or the, what people are wearing. I just want to get to the, the, the feelings and the reactions and the what are people doing? Mm -hmm. How are they acting? 
So, you know, being able to really just cut off all the fat. And then, you know, I give it to, to, to you and you're like, you gotta add, you gotta say more here. And then we do that thing. Cause I probably do take it a little too far, but it's, it's always by design. It's always in service of the story. Like things that I, that I feel especially proud about. And, and I'll do this in dialogue repeatedly. If I'm feeling really clever about a line, especially a line of dialogue, I will cut it because I'm, I think I heard that in some 1950s B movie late at night when I wasn't sleeping. It's not, I couldn't have come up with that on my own. But if somebody else says, hey, this line right here is really cool, then I will always keep it. So, you know, it's kind of a happy medium movie. Uh, try not to, to believe my own hype too much, but also to not believe my own hate. But at the root of it, really just say what I need to say and get out. You know, show, don't tell. And in the comic medium especially, a lot of the nuance, most of the nuance is in the visual. So it's only my job is to give that part of it to the artist so they can give their part to the world and then i just sprinkle a couple letters on top to, to tie off the ends it's how i look at it well i think so i think I, uh um just touching back on like you know uh, dialogue and cutting and and realism through some through simplicity because I, I think in real life people don't talk that much <laughs> as right. as you know they, right. they Im- import into, into tv like Blah blah blah. Like they they both have guns and they're talking. Like this is not. They're still talking. They have guns drawn <laughs> on each other. So there's this pulling right. pulling into this cinematic and um, we'll we'll get back into like the spaghetti western and and like how the drama is played out. How do you effectively play out drama in your writing and balance it with realism in a horror in a horror in a horror setting because i'll tell you my 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 background with horror was like uh where the sidewalk ends in elementary school where there was this Uh there was this this really dark um uh context and then there was this whimsical ending that kind of lightened it up you know goosebumps i I was right i was reading a lot of goosebumps and we were doing this uh horror poll on our on the on the black box whisper uh on the black box's uh facebook page and uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark was one of the things that I watched as a kid every weekend. Um, where, where are you balancing realism with, with you know, any, any type of theme? Like, and, and like you said, like, <laughs> in a lot of my stories, it's, it's, if it's realism and horror, there's a lot of people dying at the end. Where do you, right. where do you balance the, the gore and, and the aesthetic uh, uh, with you know, with, with how real, you know, and how, how much horror. One of the things about, uh, about aging that's interesting is totally different shit is scary to you. Um, when I look at some of the things that, that I wrote 20 years ago, where the, just for example, like the, the idea of a person in a, in a stocking, with a machete is like, you know, scary. Cause it was, it was this kind of visceral, like, you know, you're going to get chopped up. You're going to pay for, 
for your sin of being young and partying too hard or, or, or whatever. Um, but as I grew as, as an individual and as an artist, I, for once, stopped chasing theme and kind of let it reveal itself to me. But for two, I learned that no matter how deep or how dark I take something, it's never as deep and dark as someone else will take it themselves. It's like I take you by the hand and I only got to take you this far because whatever you have going on inside is going to take you the whole rest of the way. And the lovely thing about, about this, again, the medium of shorts is if you read a novel, a saga, a trilogy, they have their beats, it's played out, and things happen how they happen. If you read this short where, you know, it's just a moment and there's no beginning and no end, where are you in your life? Where are you in the world? You're going to interpret that completely differently than you might have, you know, in the, the summer of your discontent than you do in the spring of, of love. You know, it might be a totally different story to you. Um, and that was a really attractive thing about, okay, so it's less visceral now, the, the fear of these things. But now there's, as an adult, there's these other fears. Like, you have children, you're always low-key, just kind of scared of everything. You know, like, is that dog safe? Is, is the fence too high? Is the floor slippery? You know, there's always this kind of underlying something that we all have. So let's find that thread. Tug on a little bit. And we'll tug on a little bit more. And then we'll just drop you. And you tug on the rest of it. Um, and that's that's the, you know, kind of the, the cool thing about the shorts. What's after? What's before? It's whatever. You know, here's, here's this moment. And um, a lot of it is just, you'll notice you're in this weird feedback loop of just scaring yourself. And that's how I know that I've done it right. Well, um, it's, it's really, it's um, it's been proven to pull us in, you know, all ages and creeds. And we were talking about this in the poll. We were talking about uh, which one you liked more out of Tales from the Crypt or... Mm -hmm. Or the Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, X Files. I was a huge X Files fan. Uh, coming up, yeah. watched it every single week. I've watched the series through on Netflix or Hulu, whatever it's on, at least two or three other times. Um, mm -hmm. What? And and that's that. Those were shorts. Those were individual episodes. How are, how do you feel like there's a resurgence of that coming back in what you're doing? now and what were the, what were those influences for you, for you i'm the the 100 biggest influence of that era is tales from the dark side that it came on during the day and it scared the crap out of me like i would be at home you know my generation um we got home parents are still at work so i was home alone until about five o'clock because my parents were teachers. So they got home a little earlier. Um, Tales from the Dark Side would come on, Channel 48, and there's an episode called In the Closet to this day. You know, I'm, I'm a grown-ass dude. I've seen a lot of scary stuff. That's That episode is still so terrifying to me. And it's not the nostalgia terrifying. It's this 
whole kind of mood and flavor and feeling that they give you and they drop it, it dropping you into the story at 100 miles an hour and you got to kind of catch up and then oh snap you know here's this thing in the closet and it's super scary <laughs> it's super scary and that show is a huge influence now standing back from that when i was first deciding to to make this transition to comics you know i have all these stories all these scripts all these these ideas um a really wise man said to me, do not make your opus your very first comic. So I thought, I got I to gotta do something quick and dirty, get in, get out, learn my chops, like learn how to work as a, as a collaborator. You know, writing is a very solitary pursuit. Um, but when you're writing stuff that has pictures, now you got a team. Now you have to communicate with people. So I thought... Let's start really small. How, how many pages can I give myself to tell a story that will, you know, unnerve someone? And that's how One for One happened. One for One and Date Night were actually the, the first and second ever comics scripts that I wrote. Um, and, and it was with the intention of it's going to be a one-issue tale and I have to tell it quickly and as visually as possible. Because I had this, you know, in my mind, I have this, uh, there was an old G.I. Joe comic as a kid that was a huge influence on me. When you find out that Storm Shadow and uh, Snake Eyes were near Ashikage, it's a silent issue, no dialogue, no captions. So I literally wrote both of the scripts for those comics with the intention that there would be no words. Now, I knew there would be, but I wanted to flex that muscle of, I'm going to hand this to someone and not say shit else. Like, here's the script. What are they going to come back with? Like, I really want to take them into these places um, as, as visually as possible. Um, and, and literally, with One for One, uh, Del Vecchio, Faison, great artist, awesome guy. We had this cool two degrees one degree apart separation that we didn't even know uh but him and omar from the same hometown they were buddies from back in the day um but i literally gave him a script and we didn't talk again we we check in but like we didn't really talk until he was showing me, me most everything um so just being able to kind of take those visual cues from the things that scared me and translating that into, into something that allows an artist to express that in their own way is awesome. It's awesome. Um, and, and it's, it's been a really cool thing. Again, as somebody who normally is kind of solitary this, with the writing, working as a team, I've never once had something back from an artist that appeared to me exactly how I imagined it in my head. But it's always been better, if that makes any sense. No, but, it, it makes sense. <laughs> and I want to, I want to, I want to pull back um, to, to this entire, I guess, brand that you're establishing with whispers from black boxes. It's, it's, a, it's a Facebook group. It's, it's going to be the title of, of your anthology of which one for one 
is is you know you know the launch launch series pretty much you have a different artist with that that story date night which <clears throat> i think is you know among among royal houses like flagships as far as like our first horror horror you know concept that we're publishing together and then you have too much talking which is a different artist um tell me yes. about about what whispers from black boxes means is like okay i'm you're pretty much creating your own stephen king universe your own um you know, uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Tales from the Crypt. Yes. Uh, yes. Essentially, how how did where how does the what does the name mean? And then and then take me into, um, I guess these first three that you're that you're launching in the anthology, one for one date night and too much talking. That was exactly the idea. The, at, at its root, uh, whispers from whispers from black boxes is is a love letter to. Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Crypt, Friday Thirteenth, the series, like all those things that we, you know, maybe shouldn't have been watching, <laughs> maybe a little young, <laughs> but like just just chasing, uh, chasing that feeling of, of you know being creeped out, and and just the lengths that I've gone to since to to be creeped out. Um, that was a big part of it. The second part was. That, that freedom of the one shot, of being able to tell a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then go do another thing, go do something else. Um, a lot of our our attention spans have gotten a little shorter as, as time has gone on, you know, 280 characters. But also, um, just loving the short story and being able to do those, and continue to do those in this comic format is like, I'm super pumped about it. Super pumped because yeah, it's this—it's an anthology series. So that means, how far can we go with it? Where can you go? Well, wherever our minds can take us. There's no limit. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, somebody in a cape, or it doesn't have to be somebody in, you know, the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. Um, now that added element of uh, kind of plants and payoffs and leaving these breadcrumbs to let you know that some of these stories maybe exist in the same world. That's just an awesome thing that I, I like to do as a, as a creative to kind of keep myself amused. And sometimes people pick up on it, sometimes not. Um, but like the, the, the story of date night really came from a, uh, an actual chance encounter that I had on a country road after I ran out of gas because my gas gauge did not work. So it was really dark and it was a scary situation. And I ended up having this kind of interesting experience that I would not have had otherwise. So that was one of those stories that started with the question, what if this situation that ended up being cool had gone the way that you had initially thought it was going to go? What if that had happened? Well, then it's a totally different story. Mm. So I thought, uh, I remember we, me and Dom were on the, on FaceTime for a while for, I was telling him the story. I hadn't even sent him the script. I come back in, I'm like getting the script ready to send to him. He sends me back the pictures of the, you know what it was. And I was like, yeah, this is, it's gotta be this guy. It's gotta be, this is like, 
early week two or three royal house early early like we hadn't been working together that long and um it was just this really natural he really understood um what i was going for like mood wise and then just made it so much more you know that's what i mean about the the collaborative nature is like i had this one particular idea but you you add another creative person to that and it turns into this whole other thing that was um, deeply deeply more than than what i thought it could be um and it's it's pretty scary so i was, I was happy about that i was happy with it because you know it's it's hard to tell sometimes it's hard to tell um we're, we're desensitized to a lot of things well, Donald's, Donald's inks will sensitize you real quick. It was it was horrifying. Yes, Some of the You're images that he <laughs> right the teeth. He does he does the teeth real well. It will scare. It will sensitize you, like you said. Uh, so that that was that was super neat. Um, and then that just kind of opened everything else up. Like, oh, okay, this is an actual possibility. This is a a visual thing that's doable. Cause you know, a lot of horror movies are just these kind of hyperkinetic, uh, two hour music video, you know, um, it goes through a resurgence every few years where we'll see more, I don't want to say cerebral movies, but we'll see more art house horror, like more creepy instead of just gross or, you know, more of the witch, less hostile. Um, but in an anthology, you can do all of that. You can do any of those. So it was a really attractive idea. Um, about that same time, you know, when we were we were finishing up with One for One, One for One was finishing, or finish a date night, and kind of trying to decide what to do as this collection, um, as things like uh, Black Mirrors and revitalized twilight zone you know uh, jordan peele did twilight zone reboot and outer limits making another spin just those kind of shows that sprinkle the sci-fi elements in with the horror that's an entirely other realm so you know we're thinking like well why not we like that stuff too um it doesn't have to be just one thing uh that's an another thing i love about the short stories as a kind of an intellectual exercise, it's like what genres that you love can you match together to make this more fun? Yeah. So, in an anthology format, all of them. Now, pick one. What do you, what do you got today? Sci-fi, sure. Western, yeah, let's do it. You know, underwater pirate adventure, hell yeah, let's do it. So we just kind of ran with it. Um, the whispers from black boxes was just kind of a I don't sleep that well um, I've had insomnia for my entire life I spend a lot of time awake when it's dark and everyone else is asleep and I was thinking um, what is the scariest thing that could happen right now so, you know, I was sitting here at my desk I was thinking what is the scariest thing my cat's with me Bruce Wayne he's, uh, he's 19 years old and I thought the scariest thing that could happen right now would be for this old cat to look me in my face and just speak like a human. Like, what's up, man? Like, that would be really scary. <laughs> so I thought, 
okay, like let's take that one step farther. What if it was a disembodied voice coming from over there? That was a scary thing, you know. It evoked some images in me, and it was just something I thought was ambiguous enough to not make you feel like you knew what was coming, but gave you enough that you kind of have an idea of what to expect. Does that make sense? It's it's uh, it opens the imagination. I think, like right. you said, that was the goal from the be- from the beginning. And right. What horror, what horror and sci-fi does, and and just lets us kind of go through the whole spectrum of imagination. I want to I want to talk a little bit about about editing, and um, and publishing. You know, you know qual- quality work, um, and I think quality work comes from um, a practice in editing and collaboration. Tell us, you know, and and we and we want to kind of definitely get into some of the some of the projects um, that we have have going on right now, um, you know, that are that are you know Royal House, you know, next in line for for Royal House. Um, but talk to me a little bit about your editing process for a lot of the writers out there, um, and then I want to segue into like collaboration, how how we've been really kind of perfecting this practice as a house. Okay, so one one of the things, um, like I said, as as an editor. Um, first, let me start by saying I never actually edit my own work. But before I send it to an editor, I get it as close to what I would consider finished if I were working with only my editor hat on. So, uh, two big things about editing never, ever, ever, ever edit as you go, ever ever, ever, as you go, (laughs) or you will never get done. And you will have three perfect pages for the rest of your life. Um, But again, I always lean toward the beige prose, the brevity. Like, um, I cut things back enough to where I can feel like the artist knows what I'm trying to say, but they don't feel constrained by thinking... uh, I want something really, really specific. Um, Because again, my really, really specific in my head is not their really, really specific art that always ends up being, you know, more dynamic. So as an editor, uh, the first thing, the first pass is always the the grammatical one. That's the, the quick and dirty, get your commas in, make sure you got your spelling where you need spelling. Um, and then the word choice ends. Now, those never really end, uh, but that's usually a pass where I cut things. That's another cutting pass where I'll go through and don't need this, don't need this, this can stay. Um, the longest part of the process in the editing for me is the, is the dialogue, uh, captions as well. Those get special care and then they usually end up getting another final, final edit when there's visual, when there's actual art, um, in that something else usually gets cut and it's hardly ever added. But I like to have it as close as I possibly can to what I would consider done before I send it to somebody else. Because for one, 
especially with beta readers, like they read a lot of stuff. You don't want to make it difficult for them. Um, but one of the, the things I would especially encourage people to do in their editing process is find specific feedback for specific things. For example, you got your one beta reader that's your, your grammar person. You don't want to know about plot holes or any of that stuff from them. You just want to make sure that everything is looking as presentable and professional as you could possibly get it. Because for, for whatever reason, like spelling errors don't bother me at all unless I make them. But some people are judgy. So it's a really good practice to keep your typos, your your beatable errors at zero. <laughs> beatable error is always at zero. So make sure you're giving the, th- the right thing to the right person. If you're looking for a, a plot point and character read and you get back, hey man, you need two dots, spaces after the period, like that's infuriating. You don't want that. You don't want to waste anybody's time. Um, just really make sure you're, you're giving your best work to whoever to get their best work. Um, but I never edit my own. Never, ever, ever. I do use software for, for some of the, especially the grammar, the quick and dirty parts. But yeah, I never edit my own. Because I mean, you're hip deep in it. There's stuff you're never going to see. Ever. Like, like that spelling error in the very first line. You're not going to see that. You've been staring at that page for four months. You're not going to see that, yeah. that error. But your editor will. So get one. I mean, I, de- I definitely paid for the, the premium Grammarly, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of the other apps and tools that you can just run them through um, that are that are cleaning up those, those you know, those, like you said, those self-recognized errors. But I, I don't edit while I write. Me, I, I have completed a novel. So I, I, I know what it, how difficult it is to get through those last several chapters I've had I'm sitting on like chapter twelve of fifteen for Fair mm-hmm. versus Priest Part Two for the better you know part of a few months and I've been replaying the end in my mind like a movie you know this this entire time I know exactly what needs to happen right um, so you know just just that that art of completion but once I'm done I'm I'm sending it to an editor because I've had a great experience with with. Um, you know yourself as well as some some other editing uh, professionals and they'll they'll cut things that I didn't think to nice. um, they're recognizing right. things like just sorry now I don't have a hostage sorry that's the old kitty sorry be quiet man quiet sorry about that yeah. <laughs> sorry about that cats cats ready to get ready to get down <laughs> yeah so yeah no I, like I know I know what it means to like pass that on to another part of yes. the process, like a rapper that can produce, yeah. um, and, and has, you know, but they're, but they trust somebody to kind of like, I bet, you know, I bet even Kanye and like, whatever, like they, mm. like, man, they're listening to at least their art. Like, I don't know. There's some like self-critical function that's outside of themselves. Right. They got somebody. Yeah. And, and it's, it finding up that person, even if it's somebody that you pay copious amounts of money to, that you trust is gold because like there's a lot of things that you will take for granted as a storyteller and not even know that you're because it's you're you're standing hit deep in it it's been in your head for a year so yeah you know that this guy's name is john right you know his name's john you don't say john until page 15 
<laughs> your editor's going to say, hey, you, you got you to call him John back here on page one. It's just simple things like that, like that you would never even know that you, you haven't done. That, that's been it's, really good for us, um, for Royal House Publishing. So so you did, um, you, you, helped, you were editor for Fair vs. Priest, did a, a great job with a lot of the, the dialogue that goes into that narrative. Um, um, the narration uh, you worked on the Dombe um, uh, with Sikansi, uh, uh, uh Song of the First Butcher story of Bayajida versus Sanu and then um, we just published uh, Detective Rumble where wow. where that was we had some of the best reviews on, uh, on, on that uh, partly due to a lot of your editing and dialogue work and and some of the learning and feedback that we took into our next work. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit yes. as we segue. We got we got a, a few minutes left. Tell me a little bit a bit about how that learning and how that practice is improving the collaboration now as we get into Mecca Funk Spaghetti Gunslinger and Escrima Machete. The the coolest part of Rumble was was super fun on a couple different levels, but. For one, um, I'd never, I'd never come in at that stage of a project, so I had to streamline my process. But also, I had to like mine the brains of other creatives to to really get it, you know, how it was intended. Um, you know, really kind of like all those conversations about tell me about this character. Like, none of these things appear in the story. This guy only has four lines of dialogue, you know, but all those things kind of inform every single one of those lines. Like, these two cats don't like each other. These two, you know, so being able to kind of work through that with, you know, this 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 person on the, on the team is doing this, boom, goes to the next, boom, to the next, boom, to the, like, kind of that assembly line process of it was um, it was neat and it was like we also did it at this kind of relaxed pace so nobody was pressed and i i think as a as a group it's our best work and and for for two reasons um i can tell if we think of everything as muscles that we've been training like we've been doing our our weightlifting this past year I can see that we've gotten stronger in each of our separate fields individually. Um, coming together as a whole and being able to take, you know, again, part of the editorial process is taking criticism. Like, it's not all just, wow, this is great. It's, why did you choose to do this here? Or explain to me why this doesn't make sense now that you've stood back from it and know it doesn't make sense. So we were able to take these nuggets of some really good, you know, constructive criticism from people that, you know, we like their work and, and we trust their opinions on things um, as writers and as creatives and really just throw that all in and embrace the, the team part of it. The Like this is the crew that's working on this book. That was awesome. You know, that I'd never done it that way. I'd always just kind of showed up as a guy with a script. Uh, so being able to 
flex those uh, those kind of editorial muscles is something that I really look, am looking forward to doing again in the future. And um, I think you know, moving ahead with you know with our our genre mashups, uh, Screamer, Spaghetti Western, like those are going to be so cool. <laughs> it, uh, it, I think those are going to be fantastic. And and each project we do together from our own individual growth just just it's just dripping with richness so we have a, a facebook group if you're not on it go follow mecca funk spaghetti gunslinger uh chuck i want i want you to tell the the the, the, the audience what mecca funk spaghetti gunslinger meant to you and don't give too much but tell them just like the world that we that we are expanding for for people that are into that mech genre. Okay, so everybody knows that you know mechs are cool. You can take it all the way back to Robotech. Um, like I said, I'm a big fanboy. One of the genres I'm a fan of is, is the Western. Uh, there's a lot of those aesthetic things, uh, a lot of the posing and, and, and the dialogue, you know, the tough guy talk, the cool stuff. Um, and we had talked a couple times about a about a western and just it was all kind of been there done that but this one nobody's been there or done that. so we're mashing them up and it's going to be awesome it, the 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 coolest part of this is <laughs> the the kind of realm robin approach to uh you know world building is always super fun um but eventually you got to jump out and then actually put the story into the world so we took all that pressure away by making the world building phase like this cool kind of everybody throw in your, you know, throw into the hat, mix it up and just put it together. It's been great. Um, got a new artist that we working on it. Check us out on the group. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's fun to, to, to be at even this early stage on. And one of my, one of my, um, you know, babies, so to speak, this idea that, that, that we're again engaging in that collaborative practice is this Klima Machete, where I, I watched this YouTube video of, of Papa Machete and and this old rich tradition throughout the diaspora um, where there was this mix of, 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 of revolution um, and this technique that kind of came from fencing and this, you know, even this European style uh, uh, fencing, but this this rich tradition of rebellion in in you know the islands of Haiti and and Santo Domingo, and and you know resisting the French colonialism and colonialism, you know, at large, and and how how we're you know mashing up uh, uh, that martial art with you know this horror element. Uh, we got a few minutes left. Tell me, tell me, tell them a little bit about about where, you know, how exciting that is for you as well. That's a that's going to be a good one because those images. There's a few that you can see on the site, but they're really creepy. Um, so we're we're taking kind of this real moment in history um, where these kind of terrible terrible things are happening to that you have to go through to come out on the other end, you know, as a, as a people. And we sprinkled the, the horror, the horror story bits 
on top. Um, and it's not even, I mean, it's, you'll see. <laughs> Come to the groove. <laughs> Come yeah. to the groove. Because it's a really, it's a really interesting martial art. Like there was these, these weird, uh, weirdly horrible, but kind of standard horror things happening in that area. You know, we all know about, about colonization, but this kind of uprising came from a couple different events and, and, and places, you know, so adding an, an extra element of, of like, oh shit, there's monsters. Like <laughs> it, it made it a, uh, you'll see, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Cause some of those images are really creepy. Yeah. Um, and, and then we're, we're, we're adding all those cool action elements of the, this martial art that's, you know, not very widely known. That's, that's incredible. It's beautiful. And it's, uh, you know, they're, they're using tools, things that aren't traditionally known as weapons because they weren't allowed to have weapons. So it's going to be a really, a really good one. I'm really looking forward to, to kind of the way we're set up to make it move. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, it's going to be pretty scary. Yeah. One of the, one of the one of the cool things about that series I like is the fashion. And when I was watching the Esquima, it's like you know your old grandpa, you know that's just a, a menace with yeah. the machete, with you know double wielding, you know old uncle with yeah. a, with a cigar in his mouth, uh, Buena, and a fedora, Buena, yeah, and a fedora, Buena Vista's you know social club dress. Um, <laughs> hey Chuck, thanks for coming on, man. How, uh, thanks uh, again for having me. Yeah. Man. So the so the whispers from black boxes is a Facebook group. You guys go join that one. Um, engage you know uh, if you're into the horror genre this is a really cool space just to talk and 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 you know nerd out uh, uh about about horror sci-fi um definitely listen out for some of the titles that are coming out under that brand one for one date night too much talking i think are the first ones in the, in the anthology um join some of our other other spaces where we're just you know uh, uh, trying to create this uh, uh um uh, you know place where people can talk about you know similar interests mac funk uh Eskrima, chuck we'll see you uh next time we'll listen out for you on another round in the house thanks again see you soon everyone <laughs>